Greetings to everyone. It is certainly my pleasure to be with you. I always enjoy coming to the Oyster Bay congregation. Uh, we've done this for many, many years, and it's been a great joy. I love every one of you. We have a rich history, and it's a great blessing we have to be together again this weekend. Now, the Lord be willing, tonight's lesson potentially will be the longest of the four. In case that makes you feel good or not so good, uh, take it for what it is, because we have a lot of material to cover. I want to lay suitable groundwork, and then once we start down the list of sins that we want to talk about, we will, we will, some will hit rather quickly, but there's a couple we're going to camp out on because they really hit hard. And you might be in the expression, having a situation where you wish you brought your steel-toed shoes. Because listen, some of these sins are amazing. And it's things we don't normally think about, but we, will, should, we should really enjoy it, not because of me as a speaker, but because it's from the Word of God. This is God's Word. I'm not going to make up any of this today. I redefined every word we talk about tonight as far as the list goes. Now, I've, I've gone through this list many times in the 40-plus years that I've been preaching, but in preparation for this meeting, I went back and researched every word to make sure that I had not misunderstood anything and there, maybe there was a way I could fine-tune it and such like. So we're going to march our way through and we're going to learn a valuable lesson tonight from the Word of God. We invite your attention to Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 1. The Word of God says, the Apostle Paul is a writer, writing the congregation at Rome. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans 12, verse 1, should be within our hearts on a regular, continuous, daily opportunity. We should have this right here. We're going to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. We want today to worship God, to be in, in our prayers, to thank Him on a regular basis. Anytime someone says, please pray for me, and you say, I'll be glad to, you better do it real quick or you're going to forget it. Without intending to, but I know how it is. Say, I'll be sure to pray for you. And the next thing you know, I think, man, I hadn't prayed for him or her. So I make sure to the best of my ability that when I say I'm going to pray for you, if we hang up the phone or if we uh, separate, go our separate way, before I drive off, I'm going to pray that prayer for you. To make sure, because I want us all to work together and rely on one another in our spiritual journey. Today, we're going to be studying extensively on Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we will keynote verses 28 through 32. Now, we're not going to spring off and go to a whole lot of other verses. Now, we could do that. However, uh, the sermon would be that much longer. So we're going to look at these group of sins 
We're going to identify or define them, help us to better understand what it is, and therefore what to avoid. Brother Noah is videoing and audioing uh, this lesson. So we'll be available. One young sister from Oklahoma City area, uh, she put in on Facebook inquiring whether they would be available in audio or video and, and no answer. They said, yes, be available on both. And so therefore, we're going to have it available for your future reference and your future studies. We're going to challenge you to learn each of these points, apply them to your life, and then let us move forward in our Christian journey. At this time of the service, we will have a prayer followed by another song, and then we will study uh, the, the list of sins in Romans chapter 1. On the board tonight, we see written, Take heed unto thyself. I've chosen to introduce these five passages of Scripture because I do not want us today each sin we mention in Romans chapter 1, we want to say <laughs> they are guilty of this sin. And think about the one in front of you or behind you or beside you. We want you to think of you. I want to think of me. And the last several weeks in preparation for tonight's presentation, I, have, I will assure you, I have been convicted in my heart because of some of these sins mentioned. It's caused me to sit back and ponder and wonder what do I need to do to make sure that I don't participate in that type of action. These are very convicted points given to us by the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God. It's very important today that we take a break from looking at others and look at ourselves. I'll be very brief on these five points. But Luke 17, really we will notice verse 3 and 4. I've written down 1 through 4. But this is dealing with forgiveness one to another. And he said, take heed unto yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. Here dealing with the subject of forgiveness, the Bible says, look at yourself. Make sure that you're not the problem. Make sure that you didn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. Make sure that you're not the one that created an atmosphere whereby these sins, one or more, became a reality. Take heed to yourself. Therefore, in the subject of forgiveness, we need to always look at ourselves. Acts 20 and 28, the Word of God speaking to the Ephesian elders. This is the powerful passage. Would you please note with me, Take heed unto thyself and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. A great lesson could be preached from this one verse. Have great meaning to it, but the factor that we want to illustrate, take heed unto thyself, speaking to the elders of the church of the congregation, take heed unto yourself and to the flock, the membership. Look at yourself. Look at them. Take care of them because you're watching after the flock. I'll assure you today, one of the most heavy responsibilities 
for being an elder, and I will soon have, will have been an elder for 10 years this coming July. But to me, now, one of the biggest challenges of being an elder is what the Bible calls watch for their souls. I'm going to show you one thing. I want to watch for my soul and the responsibility of watching after the memberships. Each one's soul is a challenge because you don't want ever to cross the line and become a busybody in other men's matters. But you do want to show true care and concern, tender love and care for their spiritual soul. So you want to be very, very careful. Some people are more easily entreated while other people are standoffish. So you have a whole lot of things to, to work on. But the Ephesian elders were told in Acts 20 28, we need you to look at yourself. Okay, now in 1 Corinthians 11 and 28, this is dealing with the communion. He says, let a man examine himself. Let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Now, dealing with the communion, we shouldn't be there balancing our checkbook, cleaning out our wallet, our purses. We shouldn't be there trying to make up our week's schedule. Or we shouldn't be sitting there thinking how you're really glad the preacher preached what he did because they needed it. No, no. We are to be examining ourselves as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I know at times it's a challenge because minds wander and you hear loud noise or you hear something that distracts you. But let that be momentarily distraction. Don't just wander off for good. You're in a time God set aside for his sons and his daughters together for worship and in the communion. He said, what I want you to do, look at yourself. Christian friends, will you promise me that you would do your best each week to zero in on Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? That you would focus in on what Jesus did for you and be thankful to your God for his plan, and for that reaching you. Because that's so important. And Jesus, who instituted the Lord's Supper the way he wanted it, he said through Paul, verse 11, 28, let a man examine himself. Okay, next, point number four, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Take notice here, 2 Corinthians well, already the church of Corinth already gone through 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians. Now they're gone through 13 chapters of 2 Corinthians. These 29 combined chapters, he's winding down. The Corinthian church had a lot of challenges, but they were young and they lived in a part of the country that was very challenging. But what they were told is, examine yourself. Whether you be of the faith, notice now, number two, prove yourself how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be a reprobate. Know yourself. He gave you three different things. Examine yourself, prove yourself, know yourself. Dear friends, I'll be very frank with you. The only way we can never really know ourselves if we first examine ourselves and prove in ourselves then and then only can we really know ourselves. 
And this is exactly what Paul wanted the Corinthians to do. He then did this great book, a very practical book. And he said, I want every one of you to examine yourself. And I want you to prove yourself. And I want you to know yourself. And then in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16, this time Paul is writing a young preacher, young preacher Timothy. And he's saying things to Timothy that he wants him to get a handle of and to be able to handle and use it in a very effective way. He said, Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, Thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. Wow, this is a heavy. He said, Timothy, here's what you need to do. The first thing you need to do, look at yourself. Look at yourself with the spiritual mirror of God's word and make sure you are what you ought to be. And unto other people, continue in the doctrine. For in doing this, you can do two things. Save yourself. And you can save those that hear you. Christian friends, this passage right here should ring true in everybody's life. Every opportunity that we have to speak with people about spiritual things, we need to reach out a helping hand, share with them the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great things can happen. You will find precious and honest and sincere hearts. Everybody? No. Some people? Yes, but whatever the case, fulfilling the Great Commission, we go to every creature, we go to all the world, we go to every nation proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, the book of Romans, the first chapter, is where we're going to spend the balance of our time. So we invite your attention, please, as we read and as we study this particular chapter. I want you to understand something here. Paul is dealing with the Gentiles that he's writing to, many of whom had a hard time grasping spiritual things. He wrote this congregation and he gave them a list of sins right off the bat as it's divided. What first chapter? He hit them up with the longest list of sins found in the Bible. Old or New Testament. You see a whole lot of little lists along the way that mention five, six, seven. No, no, this is a long list. It's over 20. We're going to just briefly hit some of these and go right down the line. But can you imagine the letter they get it and all of a sudden they get about verse 28 and all of a sudden, whoa, man, he's going to just right down in your face. And guess what? He was. He was laying it down so they understood it as Brother Robert prayed in his prayer as though we can understand clearly these points. So what I ask you to do, let's back up a couple of verses because we see something mentioned one time in the New Testament and I want to make sure we understand it tonight. But please understand, this list of sins is the longest list found in the Bible. That's very important. Romans, the first chapter, begin at 26, please. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, 
For even there, women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. Break a point here. Listen, this is the first time, the only time, he directly spoke about women's homosexuality. There's not another time that he specifically said women. But yeah, it's always been wrong, but he mentioned women right here. So don't ever wonder, I wonder what about women? It's right there in Romans 1. When you see a homosexual, you might ask him, have you ever read Romans 1? And you may not be very popular, but let me do what you'll be biblical. The next verse said, and likewise, here comes the men, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving themselves the recompense of their error, which was mute. Dear friends, listen. Homosexuality is a going to hell offense. If a person dies in that condition of homosexuality, men with men, women with women, and they die in that condition, there'd be no repentance at all, there'd be no change at all, they're going to burst hell wide open. And that is sad. And people offer every kind of excuse in the book, but the Bible condemns it. As a matter of fact, may I please take you down? And I want to show you this passage. The very last one we're going to see of the chapter, look at verse 32. This is the sins and then the conclusion of them. Who commit these sins, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only that do them, but have pleasure in them that do them. I want to explain that verse so you can understand the impact of these sins as we march right along. He let it be made known the people who find pleasure, who encourage others to do it, are just as guilty as if they are doing these committed sins. Very serious. I want you to stand apart from these sinful ways. And he let it be made known you don't need to do them and you don't need to give encouragement to those that do them. You know, this is a very interesting word. It's, it talks about when you approve them, you're given heartily, one writer said, heartily approval. Don't ever encourage people or approve of people who commit sin. You're not doing them any good. And to be very frank with you, you're not doing yourself any good either. You don't look very good when you're giving somebody encouragement within a sin that they're committing. I want us today to grow. I want us to go from one level spiritually to another level. I want these things to begin to be things you think about and you, you gear your life in such a way that not one of these sins is found in your life because the Bible said, he that does these is worthy of death. That is the second death. Revelation 21 verse 8. This is the second death. Eternal damnation in hell is the second death. They who commit these things are worthy of the second death of damnation in hell. Yeah, this got my attention. I'll be very honest with you. This is serious. This is not a joke. This is not a no big deal. 
It's a big deal. And we need to take heed to that. So therefore you understand, we should look at ourselves when we look at these sins of Romans 1, we need to realize the consequences of participating in it or encouraging others to do it. And having a good time if they do it. Stay clear, friends. Stay clear of these sins. All right, let's begin at 29. I'm preaching with the King James Version, but I looked in multiple versions, and many of them are very same as King James. Occasionally, there might be a different word here and there, but they all mean the same thing, even if it's a different word, just simply a synonym to it. So therefore, the Word of God said in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication. Put your brakes on. Back up before fornication. Look what it said. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Filled needs to be talked about. When a person here is filled, they're saturated. with. He said they're filled with unrighteousness. They're filled with the sin. And this unrighteousness includes every kind of unrighteous deed, action, conduct. So don't just run over that phrase and not give it due consideration. He said people are saturated with sin. You know what's alarming to me? There are times that sin is in our life. And the first time we said it, did it, whatever the sin is, it really bothered us. We felt really, really bad. And then the next time we felt bad, but not quite as bad as we did the first time. And then by the time we've done it 10 or 12 times, we think, what sin? It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Don't lose sight of that. Then he said fornication. Fornication is sexual immorality, including any and every sexual immorality. It includes homosexuality. It includes any kind. Now you can look it up. And I started to write these on the board, but I didn't want to take the time to get it all done. But I want to tell you something. You can take these words, you can look up within your translation of preference that you have, that you like to use. You may want to use some other translations and read this within that. You might want to get a, a Greek English lexicon. They've got them numerically coded where you can look them up and, and go by the number, and that's a real easy way. And there's other easy ways within a variety of Bible programs. You might want to take a good look with a word study book where you can look at that and someone dived into that word and really explained it to you. And then you might find reputable commentaries. I'm talking about that at the bottom of the list, but you've, you've gone all through this. Greek English lexicon dictionaries. You do all of that to really get a handle on what fornication is. Let me tell you what. The people in the world who are not acquainted with the church and the Lord's way, many of them do not realize sexual immorality is wrong. It doesn't bother them because they've never been educated spiritually. I've known of cases where preachers and their wives were studying with a couple living together and they were not married. And then 
after several weeks, the preacher, why have they, they obeyed the gospel? What's going on here? And then and it seemed like when they were there, everything looked good, but then later on they come back and no big changes. And then it hit them. They said, you know what's going on? They don't know they're living in sin. They know what they need to do. They've been taught about the church and baptism, etc., but they don't know they're living in sin. So the next week they said, do you realize that, now am I correct that y'all are not husband and wife? No, no, we, we've never got married. You're living in sin, do you realize that? No, we're good people. What are you talking about? We're good folks. We don't lie, we don't cheat, we don't curse. We don't do that stuff. Well, that may be right, but they're living in fornication. Living together, sexual acts outside of marriage is sinful. Let it be understood. And fornication is very, very clear. And listen, it is every form of immorality. Number two, wickedness. Oh, this is really interesting here. This is not what I remembered it being before at a younger year of preaching, but it was very interesting. And that is wickedness was actively working out evil ways, but corrupting others as well. You're working out through evil ways to make yourself feel good and receive benefit at the cost of the expense of someone else. Ouch. How many times have you done that? You've done something to make them look bad, you look good, and you're waiting for the praise of men, but you don't need anyway. Listen, the wickedness he's addressing right here is very serious. We need to check out our motives. Make sure we are pure within. This wickedness should get your attention. It got mine. Covetousness. Covetousness is simply desiring to have more. Not content with what you have. You're wanting more. You know, Paul wrote Timothy. And uh, 1 Timothy 6 and 8 and told him to be content with what he has. Covetousness is basically the opposite of 1 Timothy 6 and 8. And that doesn't mean it's not okay to get another car with your first one, barely makes it to church. It doesn't mean that. But when you're looking at other people, they man, I wish I had what they had. And you're even remotely thinking of going through some kind of a motivation to gain what others have. And you're not really contented when you should be. It's a sin. Now, let's pause here. What is the consequence of that? Look at 32. You'll see it. They're worthy of death. Can you imagine a covetous person being worthy of death? Did you know when you, you branch out on covetousness, and we can't do that today because of time, but you branch out on covetousness when the Bible is talking about church discipline? Did you know covetousness is mentioned in several of those lists? From such, withdraw yourself. I've never heard of anybody withdrawn from being covetous because they were not being satisfied with what they had and they wanted what somebody else had and they might have been willing to go through ill-gotten ways to get it. 
That's how bad God hates covetousness. We do not need that in our life. Number four, maliciousness. Maliciousness is ill will. How often have we thought ill of somebody? I know you don't like them, but why in the world are we all thinking ill will? Kind of wishing they'd fall down and break a leg or something. Why do we do that? Why do we think ill of other people? It is a sin. It can cost us our soul. We do not need to be in that situation. No, sir. No, ma'am. Ill will. Any form of malignity. Maliciousness is one of those sins among all these worthy of death. Full of envy. Wow. Envy and covetousness are somewhat related here. But, but full of envy is the displeasure produced by the prosperity of others. Oh, they got a promotion. They got additional whatever, you know, money. They got a raise. They got more benefits. They work less, make more, whatever. And people are envious of them. And that image just kind of rubs you raw. Tell you what, we've got to control ourselves. We got to straighten up, folks. Now you can laugh it off. You can think it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Anything that's worthy of death, anything that caused me to go to hell, anything that keeps me out of heaven, buddy, they got my attention. And these things, some of which seems rather simple. There's nothing simple when you look at the consequence of it. Murder. Oh my, murder. When someone has little or no respect for human life. Oh, you see that in so many times that it, my heart breaks. Of people I don't even know, but I hear of parents who, who have mutilated their kids, who microwave their kids, who stuck them in an oven and baked them. No regard for human life. Abortion. Abortion is sin, a going to hell offense for people who are not really taking interest in taking care of loved ones, friends, and whoever they can. Let me assure you one thing. Murder is a sin. And if we're not careful, we will violate. No, we may not take someone's life. I don't, I don't know anybody here that has the, what it would take to kill somebody. I would hope not. But you know, I've known people that kill people. I've known of Christians that were killed. I'm talking about brothers in Christ that were murdered by some heathen that walked right in and shot and killed them right there in their living room. And they weren't doing anything to anybody. Let me tell you what. You make sure that your lifestyle is better than that. You have respect for human life. You try to help people have an improved life. I know there's a lot we could say about this, but we know what murder is, and, and we need to make sure that we never participate in any way, shape, or form in taking the life of someone. 
debate. Debate is like strife, discord, contention, quarrels. It's not a debate like years ago we used to have. You don't see many of it today. Now you do see occasional on, on the computer. You see people having debates, but one at one location and another another location. But back in the day when we had debates where you had one crowd and you get in front and you defend whatever position you are and you deny whatever position he wants to offend, you know, it's not that kind of debate. This debate he's talking about is one who called the strife, discord, and problems within an individual's relationship, family, the church. That kind of debate is wrong. And, you know, in this debate right here, one, one writer, late in my study on this particular word, he simply said, one who argues a lot. Wow. You know, there's some people's favorite thing to do is argue about it. If you say it's raining outside, no, it's not raining. And it may be pouring, but they're going to argue with you, and they'll argue with a, with a tree. I'll tell you what, do not be an argumentative person. Do not be one that's going to participate in that. If somebody wants to argue with you, you can end that situation really by saying, you know, thank you, but no thank you. I think I'll leave. Dismiss yourself in that situation. You know, I know if they're saying things to you that's not right and accurate, you want to turn and defend yourself, and that thing you know, you're going nose to nose and eye to eye, and you're just as bad as they are as far as arguing. Why not next time somebody wants to tell you how it is, tell you how the cow eats cabbage, that you think, excuse me, I'm going turn and walk off. There are people in the Word of God who are in very serious situations and their, their decision was turn and leave. Flee. Flee it away. Dear friends, we've got to do that. We've got to learn to just turn and walk away. That's what we need to do. Deceit. You know, deceit is gaining advantage by hidden trap. Ouch. In other words, we're going to manipulate the situation, whatever it is, in a way that we are going to feel good and look good and we're going to gain benefits at someone else's expense and they're going to look bad and we're going to look good and it's going to be a deception because we arranged certain things a certain way so for our benefit. Who would have ever thought that was wrong? Paul did. The Holy Spirit did because he inspired the word. God did because God told him what to write. Guess what? You may have never thought it was, but it is. And if you have any participation in that kind of garbage, we've got to quit that. We, we cannot try to make things work to our benefit at the downgrade of other people. And at their loss. Wow. I mean, now listen, you expand on that word and you'll find something to keep you awake at night. Malignity. Wow, malignity. Friends, listen to me. This is when you put the worst 
possible interpretation on the actions of another. I know why they did that. They did that because of this out of the other. Oh, how do you know? When you speak up, when you should have shut up, and you are doing what you can, and you want to put the worst possible construction on the action of another, and you don't know it, you just think it, you're thinking evil of them, that is a sin of malignity. Boy, that hurts. You know what? I'm guilty of that at times. I hope and pray that I'm never guilty again. I pray to God that I would not ever do that. You know, it's so easy. So I know why they did that. I don't know nothing. I know I need to keep my mouth shut. I do know that. I know one thing. I don't need to try to second guess his actions. Listen, that's between him and God. Alan, stay out of it. Stay out of it. None of your business. Leave it alone. Pray for them that they'll have their heart and soul right and ready to meet their maker. But refuse to be one who puts a possible worse interpretation on the actions of another. Assuming the worst. Now, friends, listen. Now, I mean this. Men or women, young or old, you make sure that you're a person that tries to find the best in others and not the worst. And if you find good things, wonderful, tell people about those good things. But if you find something bad, you only talk to them. You don't go talking to everybody else. And you do not place the worst possible construction because that's malignity and that will cost you to lose your soul. The last one in verse, not the last one for the night, just the last one in verse 29. Whisperers. Oh my, what in the world is that? We know what that is. We've done it, haven't we? Whisperers is when you speak slanderous of others, but quietly. You know, you when somebody says, Alan, Blue, I want to tell you something. You know what I've started doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. If you're afraid for others to hear it, I don't need to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. I had a guy a few weeks ago call me and said, I got a couple of things I want to tell you and kind of interesting. He started in. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, is this going to be of any value to me? Is there something I can help with? And if not, I don't want to hear it. Well, he was taken back. Listen, I didn't used to do that. I go, oh, what you got to tell me? But listen, that was a bad attitude on my part. No, now... It's fine. I will shut people down immediately because I don't want to hear the garbage. But listen, whisperers is when people are going to slander people, other fellow Christians many times, but they don't want to say it very loud because they don't want other people to know they send this. And I just think, yeah, God heard that. God heard it. Nobody else heard it. That whoever you're talking about, they didn't hear it. Listen, refuse to listen to people when they're going to whisper about a problem. The Bible did not carelessly use the word whispers. It brings to our attention something very serious. Now look at the very next one, verse 30, backbiters. Now immediately, I thought, well, whispers, backbiters, about the same thing. Guess what? It's not. 
I'm glad I redefined all of these, by the way. I'll tell you the difference. Yes, a backbiter will stab you in the back. You can't trust them. But a backbiter is more, this is the difference between a whisper and a backbiter. Whispers, whisper. Backbiters are much more bold in talking about him or her, this or that. And that's the big difference between backbiters and whisperers. They both are slanderers of other people. Both are sinful. But we today need to search out our heart and make sure that we are not whisperers or backbiters. Why? Because we're worthy of death. We'll lose our soul. And if we find pleasure in other people that do it, that's sinful too. Now, Christians, listen, this is real easy to find yourself guilty of. It's easy for me to find myself guilty of it. And I promise you one thing. Anytime I see any of these things that can keep me out of heaven, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit doing it because it's not worth going to hell over. Whatever it is I want to whisper about, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to say it. And I, it's all right with me if you won't. Do we need to talk about that? It's all right if you say, whoa, Alan. That's fine. Oh, it might embarrass me, but guess what? I need embarrassing. There need to be someone who's strong enough to stand up to whoever it is and say, do we really need to talk about that? I don't need to hear that. Because when they get through, can't do anything about it. And we've just slandered somebody. Whisper them back by to quiet the deal. Haters of God. While I spend a long time here, haters of God. Who would hate God? Was my thinking? Haters of God. I grabbed a bunch of different translations and I read them and, and they said it in different ways, but they ended up was haters of God. And to find out what I began looking up under word studies and defining words, etc. It was people that hated what God stood for, hated God's will, refused to obey God's will. They hated God's plan. They hated his message. Therefore, they hated God. Wow, my simple mind, but I understood it that way. I got it. I got it. You know, I've had women and I've had men who talk about, I had a man one time I went to visit and he was really struggling spiritually. He'd been out of the church in and out and in several times. And one time he was divorced and they unscripturally then got remarried and all that. But, but I went to visit him one day and, and I was talking to him and sure enough, he said, you know, I'd love to go back to church, but they won't accept me because, you know, we, my wife and I divorced and, and I've married this woman and she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. And told me all of her greatness and everything. And then he said, you know who I blame for this? I said, well, no. He said, I blame God. I said, excuse me? I don't want to be, if God's going to strike him, I don't want to be very close. I said, man, hey, I said, I don't want to be around you. You blame God? He said, yep, I blame God. He said it's like a big jar of candy, and you can have only one piece. He said, that's what it's like. God gave us natural desires, 
and all these beautiful women like this beautiful candy, we can only have one piece. That's just not thinkable. I said, buddy, I'm going to let you take that up with the Lord. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave right while I'm still here, okay? I'm going to leave. I'm not here this. We talked many times before and, and after. But no, he worked out his life like he chose to work it out. And now he wanted to blame God for it. I'll tell you what, blaming God puts you on the wrong side of the situation. Don't blame God. Submit to God. Submit to his will. Be willing, be ready, be able to go moving ahead spiritually and do not get yourself in a situation where you're compromising your spirituality. It is very, very serious. Despiteful. All right, listen to this. Despiteful. When you lift yourself up and you put others down, you have a big eye and a little you. I'm better than you are. You're way down here. I'm up way up here. You're despiteful of those people. Maybe they are less fortunate than you. You know, we often hear people pray for we pray for those who are less fortunate than we ourselves. You've heard it. But let me tell you what. We need to make sure we're not despiteful looking down on other people who be, they have poor health. They don't have the finances. They don't have a nice home, nice car. They don't dress as nice as you do, whatever. And if you get to thinking you're better off than they are, number one, you're not. And number two, you're despiteful. And number three, you can lose your soul if you don't change. That's pretty serious. All right, let's move on. Proud. Proud is simply arrogant. Let me tell you what. This has to be looked at. We need to make sure that we do not even unintentionally come across as being arrogant. You know, you know the Bible said in the book of Proverbs that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before them all. Wow. Don't be arrogant. You might need to ask your spouse, your parents, your children. Does this sound arrogant? I, I don't want to be arrogant. Or if you are, you need your family to say, hey, you're arrogant, you're proud, and that's wrong. Very serious. Boasters. One who's a boaster. In this particular passage, in this particular word, is an individual that brags on himself about things that he can't even necessarily do. He brags on himself, his abilities. He is a, quote, vain pretender. Vain pretender. An individual who kind of wants to toot his own horn. He don't know straight up about it, but he's acting like he does. That's what this word boasters mean. Inventor of evil things strive to develop new and more ways to do evil. 
This verse here, inventor of evil things, someone who spends their time and effort and energy creating a way to do more evil, to satisfy their passion. Dear friends, we've got to wake up. We've got to make sure we are not people who's trying to figure out a way to do something that's wrong because that is inventors of evil things. The next is disobedient to parents. You know, parents need to be respected. But I'm telling you what, you need to earn that respect. Now, we can talk about the role of husband and wife, moms and dad, but this verse, talking to the children, disobedient to parents. I've told more than once this to uh, friends of mine across this country. At times, they really get irritated at me, but okay. Especially when I hear them badmouth or talk ugly to with an attitude, they're mom and dad. Now, maybe they're my age, 60, but their parents are 80, 85 or so years old, and they talk to them in a way that's not kind and respectful. That's wrong. Now, if a 15-year-old did that to a 35-year-old parent, I mean, we'd see some scuffling going on here. And we'd all think that's a bad deal. Well, let me tell you what, there's no age limit on honoring and respecting parents. No age limit. As a matter of fact, the older you get, the more you should honor and respect them. Sure enough, you have your own household and you may do something different than they did. That's understandable. And I can trace that down, give you an example, but you know what I mean. But disobedient to parents is simply children who do not respect their parents they would very likely disobey the laws of our land. They would very likely disobey school officials. They would very likely disobey whoever comes along and doing set, has set a rule that they don't like because they got by with disobeying parents. Parents, we need to train our children up in the way they should go so when they're old, they will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, verse six. Without, verse 31, without understanding, Wow, I started to branch off on this early on too. All the things I started to do, man, I'd be preaching to midnight. And I'm not going to do that. You may think I am, and I'm not. But I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to quit either. Because let me tell you what, this was a whopping chapter. Without understanding. People have chosen ignorance. Rather than spending quality time with the Word of God. They've chosen to be ignorant without understanding. Those who choose to reject God from their mind, they don't want to know the truth. They don't want any part of knowing the truth. And they get their life so steeped down, down into sin that they just think there's no way up. They need you there. Today, if I fall, I need you there to reach for a helping hand to pull me up. Because tomorrow you may fall and you need me up so I can lift you up. We need to be there for help one another. To be there for each other. But there are people that don't respect God. 
Let me tell you what, if you know there's things in the Word of God that you're not doing, whatever it is, and you're not doing it, I'll tell you what, that's disobeying God, and it's a situation that's very, very serious because you're acting without understanding. You've got God's Word at your free disposal. We've just now seemingly, seemingly coming out of this COVID situation one day at a time, but we would have never thought in a hundred years that there'd ever be a time that, that our government would say you can't worship. You can only have 10 people or whatever number within your county. And we all said to sit back and try to go, whoa, what are we going to do with this? You know, we've never had that in our lifetime. <clears throat> we want to be those who love God. We're not without understanding. We know what's right and wrong, and we will exercise it. Covenant breakers. Oh, man. I mean, this is painful. You know what a covenant breaker is? A covenant breaker, those who make agreements but have no intention of keeping them. There are those who write up an agreement. I'm talking about a real true, true to form uh, contract agreement, but they do not keep it. Whether they meant to or not, they don't keep it. And that becomes a pattern to them. That person is one who's a covenant breaker. When you say yes, I love the way I was raised, and my parents and my grandparents, this brother Alton Bailey and brother E.H. Miller, I remember from the pulpit how they said, you know, the, the, in their day, a handshake was just as good as a signed contract. You want to go borrow money from a bank now, and, you, and they say, well, you know, sign right here. And you say, no, I don't want to shake your hand. They're going to look at you like you're silly. The handshakes don't mean near as much as they used to. But I'd love to be able to shake somebody's hand. If he says, yes, I'm going to, I know he will. If he says, no, I'm not going to ever do that, I know that's the way it would be. Here's the deal I want. I want everybody here to be that person. That if you say it, that's the way it's going to be. And if something changes and you're not able to follow through, you make sure you get with that individual by phone or some way and let them know, hey, here, this happened. Well, I'm not able to follow through with it at this time, but I want to be the first one to tell you that didn't happen, okay? I want you to be honest above board. And because if we're a covenant breaker, we're worthy of death. And God said, you don't want to do that without natural affection. Wow. Natural affection. The kind of love that you should have. Whoever means the most to you in your life, your wife, your husband, your family member. Don't have that anymore. When people don't have that anymore, it's without, they don't love their children without natural affection. I mentioned earlier about not treating the elderly correct and with respect. That's not having love and respect. That verse, that point of this verse, is very, this is all in 31 now, verse 31, implacable. This implacable is very similar to covenant breakers, but it, it is expounded. 
a covenant breaker, one who cannot be persuaded to enter into a covenant, that is, a covenant he plans to keep, signifies an untrue to one's promise, one that cannot be relied on because they do not follow through with their commitments. They're, quote, untrustworthy. They put their John Henry on a contract, you know, many contracts, and they're not following through with it. That person is implacable. Ouch. Have we ever been implacable? Let me tell you what, it is serious business. They're just simply somebody you cannot trust. They say it, but they're not going to do it. They say it and they didn't do it. Implacable. That's not a word we hear very often in our society, but we understand the meaning of it. Unmerciful. One who demands his wants to be satisfied without any regard to someone else. The unmerciful, they want their way. They don't want to give mercy. They're unmerciful to others, but they want all the mercy, and they don't care if somebody else gets it or not. Well, that brings you back to verse 32. The passage we read earlier. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, but not only that do them, but have flesh in them that do them. Well, that takes care of Romans 1. It's almost 5 to 9. And I told you this is probably the longest sermon of the, of the weekend. And, and I believe that's accurate. We'll find that out tomorrow night in the Lord's Day. But I think that's right. It is the longest list of sins, remember, found in the New Testament or old. And they're the, I've got pages of other notes that I'm not even going to. Did you know there are well over 100 specific sins in the New Testament? We've noticed about 24 or so, give or take. I may have skipped one. Dear friend, you've listened so wonderful. I really appreciate that. You've taken notes and you've followed in your Bibles and you've given your undivided attention and thank you. I just pray that this will help us. And you know I didn't make it up. It's right here, right there. It's in the Bible. Please grab this, be studying it, look at it with the translation of choice, and really give it true consideration. I ask of you today, without further delay, are you ready to go home to heaven? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? I pray God you would, but if you ever know, no, I wouldn't go because I've not obeyed the Bible on salvation or whatever. Well, let me tell you what you need to do. We need to go down the closest river and you need to be baptized for the remission of your sin. You know what the Lord is going to do? He's going to add you to the Lamb's book of life. You know, there's several verses, one which is in Luke. He said, is your name written in heaven? <laughs> I want my name there. If you've obeyed the gospel, but you've had struggles in your spiritual life, maybe nothing related to the things we've talked about, but something else, or you'd like the prayers of the congregation for strength and for help along the way or whatever, we'd be glad to pray with you. We'd be glad to pray for you. Please come while we stand and while we sing.